Welcome to the Brave Church Podcast. Thanks for listening in today. Regardless of what you believe, where you come from, or what questions you might have, you are welcome here. Our mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. If you want to partner with us, or if you're interested in more information, head over to brave.church to find out more. There you'll see resources to help kids learn more about Jesus, discussion guides for this talk, as well as ways our Brave Compassion team is responding to needs in this season. To catch the full Brave release, including worship and other updates, check out this talk on YouTube. Now, thanks for joining us. We hope this talk helps you find and follow Jesus. Hey, Brave Church, thanks for joining us today. We are gonna jump right into it. We're kicking off a brand new talk series called Live a Better Story. And we are in the book of Nehemiah. In fact, we're gonna jump right into it. So if you have a Bible, you can go there. Nehemiah chapter one, we're gonna read the first chapter. Now, it's a little long, that's a lot to just, start off with, but I want you to hang with me. Here's the deal. We have all probably watched a lot on Netflix, a lot on YouTube, a lot of stuff this week, but let's remember that these next 11 verses are the word of God, and I guarantee you they have the potential to do more in your life this week than anything else that you've watched or listened to apart from the word of God, okay? So here we go. We're going to start chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Haleakala, in the month, are you impressed, by the way? I, I, I googled how to pronounce that. Anyways, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him, And keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commandments, decrees, and laws that you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instructions you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling place for your name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. Have you ever had a dream that felt so real that you had all the emotion of it as it's happening? Like you were running for your life trying to survive and then you wake up, you're sweating and your heart's beating and the adrenaline of it makes it like difficult to go back to sleep. Or maybe you've had a dream where you were scared and you're, you're just 
you know, having a nightmare, right? And you, you just, you're crying maybe. You wake up and you could have sworn you were crying and you're like, oh, well, where's the tears? I, I guess I wasn't, but it felt like you were really crying. I don't have a ton of dreams, okay? I've had a few that freaked me out. Like I'm afraid of heights. And so I had a dream that I was flying and that just scared the you know what out of me. Like I'm just like, oh my God, I, I don't want to fly. Take a, Like that's not the superpower. You know when you're kids and you're like, if I could choose one superpower, which one would it be? Flying has never been my choice, okay? But sometimes my wife, she'll be having a nightmare. And she'll be so in this dream and, and so afraid that she'll start to get really loud while she's sleeping, so loud that it wakes me up. And when this is happening, then I, of course, wake her up. And she feels so grateful to have been woken from that dream. It's like I rescued her, okay? It's like she's like hugging me, so glad that I woke her up. Here's the deal. The truth is, sometimes in life, things happen. Sometimes in life, life happens. Sometimes in a year, that year happens to you. Can I get an amen? 2020. Sometimes it feels like a nightmare, but the nightmare is real. And there's no waking up from it because it is reality. So here's the deal. It's time to face the nightmare. Many of us, we don't know where to begin when it comes to making sense of this year. And so today and over the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at a leader in the Bible who led his people through one of their greatest nightmares, the greatest nightmare that they faced in his lifetime. This hero's name is Nehemiah. And this news that he received that we we just read about was the worst news that he could have gotten. It was bad news. And so he wrote this book, as a memoir of his life that chronicles a turning point for himself and his nation. In these first six chapters, we see a theme of rebuilding the city. And then in the rest of the book, there's a theme of being rebuilt as a people. We're going to move on to that after this series. But in this story, God's people have returned to their capital, their hometown, their most important place, and their walls have been torn down. Now, what did this mean for their walls to be torn down? This meant that they were completely vulnerable. This meant that robbers could come, wild animals could come, enemy armies could come and take over. A defenseless city was no city at all. And so this is where they find themselves, and this wrecked them emotionally. They'd have to accomplish the impossible to save their city, to rebuild their way of life, to find a new rhythm. They were discouraged but they had to move forward. If there's one thing, if there's one important skill that we have an opportunity to master this year, it's how to deal with bad news. How to deal with bad news. Proverbs 12, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. What many of us need on the other side of the bad news that we've been facing is hope. And that's what Nehemiah teaches us. That's what we're after. This book is prophetic for our time. This book was written and inspired by God, written by human authors to people in a specific time and place, but it was also written to us. And there's so much that God wants to speak through this book, through their time into our time. Look at the comparisons, Israel and us. They were prisoners in a foreign land. We have been prisoners of a disease. They were returning from exile. We're attempting to reopen our lives. They found their cities, their city walls torn down. Over 1 million acres of our state in California have just burned down. 
They were treated unjustly. Many in our nation are treated unjustly. So where do we go from here? What do we do with this bad news? Here's the thing. No matter how hard life is, we must move forward. We have to work through the pain, the frustration, the anger, the unmet expectations to move forward. You cannot succeed in life. You cannot finish well. You cannot get to the end of your days and be where God wants you to be, to be at a good place if you don't learn to deal with bad news. So how to deal with bad news? What's the first thing that we learn right here from Nehemiah as he's hearing this bad news? Take a look at verse four. It says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days, I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. So what's our first step when we wake up and we realize that was not a dream, right? The nightmare is real. The first thing, number one, is to lament what's happened. To lament is to give a passionate expression of grief and sorrow in a context of a hope that God cares. Annie Voskamp says, lament is a cry of belief in a good God, a God who has his ear to our hearts, a God who transfigures the ugly into beautiful. Complaint is the bitter howl of unbelief in any benevolent God in this moment, a distrust in the love beat of the Father's heart. She also says, true lament is the bold faith that trusts perfect love enough to feel and cry authentic. Here's what we need to catch. Lament is a healthy response to really bad news. Notice, it doesn't say that Nehemiah made light of it. He He didn't try to escape it. He doesn't just go on a trip for a weekend and try to get away from the bad news. He doesn't try to distract himself. He doesn't try to numb himself. It doesn't say that Nehemiah got some really bad news and he drank all weekend. And it doesn't say that he blamed God. No, Nehemiah expressed his anguish in a godly way. One of the greatest examples of this in our history is in African-American spirituals. The first slave ship arrived on the coast of North America on August 20th, 1619, a year before the pilgrims arrived on the Mayflower. A Dutch ship docked a few miles south of Jamestown, Virginia with 20 Africans. And over the next three centuries, the trafficking of Africans over the Atlantic totaled more than 10 million people. An act of the U.S. Congress banned the transatlantic slave trade in 1808. However, over the next 50 years, slavery dramatically increased through domestic slave trade within the boundaries of the United States. The number of slaves tripled until they constituted nearly a third of the southern population. The singing at their worship gatherings often featured a call and response pattern with a degree of improvisation and enthusiasm. In The Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby, he says the precariousness of their existence led Christian slaves to cry out to God with a passion and exuberance that had become characteristic of many black church traditions. Black churches created a refuge from their hardships. The spirituals were songs of lament that emerged from their brutal context. These songs expressed emotion for both the individual, but also in a communal sense. Um, African-American scholar Albert Robitaille put it this way, one person's sorrow or joy became everyone's through song. Singing the spirituals was both an intensely personal and vividly communal experience in which individuals were confronted in their sorrow 
But check this, they gained a heightened joy because they shared in the experience. Spirituals became the language of suffering and hope for those who lived in exile. They birthed faith. The abolition of slavery in 1863 didn't silence the spirituals. The songs didn't stop. These songs became an expression of lament for African-Americans living with segregation, burning crosses, Jim Crow laws, sharecropping, the Ku Klux Klan, and lynchings. And their impact extended far beyond the African-American community. One of my professors told me this last week that he remembers singing popular spirituals in in his one-room, all-white schoolhouse in the Ozarks. The spirituals, they played a unifying role during the civil rights movement of the 1950s and 60s. Songs of lament can help us express emotions when we do not yet have the words. And the beauty of what we see here in Nehemiah is that God's saying, I want these expressions. I don't don't want you to suppress them. I want you to voice to me how you're feeling. Don't hide your emotion from me. God doesn't go, wow, Nehemiah, why are you so sad? Don't you know how great I am? Don't you know I have a plan? Do you not trust me right now? Why are you so worried? I'm God. No, God, God, God meets him in this place and he says, I'm listening. I hear you. In our moment of pain, what we often feel is that God doesn't hear us or that God's inactive, that he's silent or maybe even feels absent. But the truth is, God cares deeply for us. In the Old Testament, the first word used to describe the character of God, the first word used is compassion. In the same sense of a caring mother that is holding her son or daughter for the first time or a father that picks up their child and consoles them when they've been hurt or they're troubled. Sometimes we try to hide our emotion from God. Sometimes we try to keep it all in. But what we see here through Nehemiah's story is that it's really healthy to let it out. In fact, lament releases pain. Lamenting releases pain. We can't overcome bad news if we aren't willing to let out the pain that it's caused us. No matter how hard life is, we must move forward. So number one, lament what's happened. This is a a process, okay? There's no shortcut. If you've ever lost a loved one too soon or unexpectedly, you know what I'm talking about or you've experienced injustice. So after we've ugly cried and we've let out all that we're feeling and we've expressed it to God, then this is where we start to move forward. This is where Nehemiah's lamenting takes on a different shape, okay? He says, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. So so Nehemiah calls God Yahweh. He calls him great. He calls him awesome. He calls him the God of heaven. This is the difference between singing spirituals of lament and singing the blues, right? Both genres have their root in African-American culture. One one genre, the blues, leads to despair. The other, spirituals and gospel music, leads to hope. Nehemiah isn't stuck in his feelings. He's declaring to God, and he's reminding God from the start, hey, remember your people. We put our hope in you. We, We take our bad news to you because we know there are better days coming with you. If we walk through them with you. 
And so in verse 6, Nehemiah's prayer continues. He says, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly towards you. We've not obeyed the commands and decrees and the laws that you gave your servant Moses. So remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying that if you're unfaithful, I'll scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I'll gather them from there and bring them to the place I've chosen as a dwelling for your name. Number two is to take responsibility for more than ourselves. Take responsibility for more than ourselves. You know, Nehemiah, he owned up to his mistakes, but he did so much more than that. You know, he included himself, just like the prophet Daniel had when he prayed almost 100 years before, and also as the prophet Ezra had whenever we see these great prophets and leaders in the early days of the nation of God, we see one of the first things they do, one of the things they're marked by is a willingness to take responsibility for their own actions first. But then what he does is he confesses for his family and he confesses for the entire people of Israel. He says, we, three times. This is a catalytic moment that defines Nehemiah's path to leadership. It defines his path to being a person that God could use to do something great to help others. He takes ownership for more than himself. He takes on the burden of his family's sins, his people's sins. You know, I have to wonder if Nehemiah, when you know, he looked at his family, like, was he really the most sinful? Was he really the guy that needed to be apologizing? Like maybe his dad or his brother had disobeyed God way more, but Nehemiah is not concerned with that. He's not keeping score. He's saying, I'm at fault. My family's at fault. We're all at fault. I'm going to take responsibility for this because we can't do this without you, God. We need you. We're going to return to you. And I'm banking on your promise that even from the farthest horizon, you can return your people to the dwelling place for your name. So leaders take on burdens that are bigger than themselves. And in this moment, Nehemiah is doing that. He's, he's, he's banking on God's promises. Nehemiah, he's building a case and he's petitioning God. He, he's heard the bad news. He felt really bad about it. He took a few days, okay, to, to really process and to, to release his pain. And now he's coming to God with some requests. Notice how the tone starts to change. He says, God, you said, even if your exiled people are at the furthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to this place. So, so do you hear the faith starting to rise up in his words? Do you hear the faith? I, I imagine Nehemiah, he's starting to remember how nothing is impossible for God. He's starting to, to have visions of the walls being rebuilt. He's starting to see his people where, where they will one day be worshiping God in this beautiful city where their lives will be transformed. He's having visions of a future worth fighting for. Remember at this point, without a miracle though, there's no hope. They didn't have the resources. They didn't have the permission to even start rebuilding. They had no options. They were exiles returning to their homeland with nothing. They didn't even have an army to protect them. They were weak and they were vulnerable. Have you ever gotten some bad news that birthed something good? Maybe it was the starting point of some of the greatest things that have happened in your life. Like, like a holy discontent for how things are, that you knew that you had to step up. These times in our lives, 
these moments, seasons, years of bad news, they're often very clarifying to the purposes God has, the things that God wants to do through us if we're willing to take responsibility. When we deal with bad news in a godly way, it always leads to hope because our hope is in Jesus. So I wonder if there's some bad news that could birth hope in your heart. What if your next step is to take responsibility for more than your fair share of the problem? God uses people who are willing to step up, who are willing to take responsibility, even when it's not their problem. So how can we deal with bad news in God's way? Number one, lament what's happened. Number two, take responsibility for more than ourselves. And now let's take a look at our last verse. Nehemiah, he, he, he closes this chapter with a humble and bold request. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today for granting him favor in the presence of this man. Number three, rewrite the headline. Turn to the person next to you. If you're watching with someone, say, rewrite the headline. Rewrite it. You know, humanly speaking, only one person could do something about Nehemiah's position. Only one person could make a way for Israel to rebuild. Years earlier, Artaxerxes had issued a decree to stop the construction work in Jerusalem. And he was the only one who could reverse that order. And so this is why Nehemiah prays for favor. He's about to make a move that could rewrite the headline. You know, the headline was the walls have fallen down. But the new headline would be the walls are being rebuilt. So he's going to need God's help through a person. But why Nehemiah? The last thing in this chapter, the very last thing that Nehemiah says, it's a statement. He says, I was cupbearer to the king. As the king's cupbearer, Nehemiah was responsible for tasting the wine before serving it to the king to make sure that it wasn't poisoned. This meant that Nehemiah had frequent access. Nehemiah, he didn't just have a burden to do something. He didn't just care. He was able to recognize that he had been uniquely positioned by God to do something about the problem. And he was willing he was connecting the dots. He saw what he could do. And so he asks God for favor. He sees the part that he has to play. To rewrite the headline, we often need to reframe our perspective, which is exactly what prayer and lamenting does. It, it shows us God's heart. It reveals the heart that God has given us and what we can do to make a difference. Um, Nehemiah says, I'm the cupbearer. He says, I'm in a position to do something, God, use me. Like the prophet Isaiah, use me, God. And so this is where we let hope move us to faithful action. Nehemiah isn't giving in to the sad story. He's making moves to rewrite the headline. See, maybe the headline used to be the walls have fallen. Maybe the headline used to be we're helpless, we're jobless, we're depressed, we're anxious, we're afraid, we're lonely, we don't know what the future holds. But not anymore. The new headline is with God, things can change. What story is your year writing? What headlines have you been living under? It's time to rewrite the headline. It's time to deal with the bad news. We're not saying skip over it. We're not saying act like nothing's happened. We're saying let's lament. God has given us a pattern here 
that will serve us for the rest of our lives. 2020 is the year we learn to deal with bad news and it's gonna serve us for the rest of our lives because the reality is this is not the last year we're gonna have a, a tough year. There will be future difficulties in our lives, but we have an opportunity right now to learn a pattern of dealing with bad news God's way. We can lament, we can take our emotion, we can express it to God with a hope for the future. We can take responsibility for more than our fair share. And then we can rewrite the headline. We can move to faithful action. I don't know where you're at right now. I don't know what news is hitting you the hardest or what you're dealing with the most, but I do know that we serve a God who rewrites headlines. So as we close, I wanna pray for you and then we're gonna move into a powerful time of worship where we declare that God can make a way, that he has made a way for us through all the bad stuff, all the difficult stuff, and that our hope is in Jesus. Let me pray for you. God, I pray right now, I pray that hope would begin rising up within us. God, I pray that we wouldn't dwell in despair. God, the the enemy would love for us to dwell in despair, to be depressed, to sing the blues, but God, we don't sing the blues. God, we worship you. We sing the truth. We lament and we praise you and we declare that you are a God who keeps his promises. God, I pray that over every person now, I pray that this this time now, that as we move into worshiping you and praising you, that we would have an experience with your presence, that we would be filled with a hope that is not of this world, that is only from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, Brave Church, it's Josh, the Groups and Communications Pastor here. We're going to continue on with our worship through our giving. You know, it's an incredible privilege that we have to give out of the abundance that God has given to us through just his favor, his goodness, and through giving the gift of his only son to us that we might have eternal life. And uh, one of the ways that your giving has directly impacted lives here at Brave has been through seeing people getting connected into Brave groups, being known and uh, becoming all that they can be in God, which is incredible. Brave groups actually kicks off this week, a new semester, and uh, we've got a single mums group, we've got a young professionals group, we've got a host of community groups which follow through a study and questions based on the Sunday talk. And you can be praying for that as that uh, starts up this week, that people would find connection. You know, Brave groups are the heartbeat of our church and uh, we want people to feel known and to grow in this community. You can find out more at brave.church forward slash groups, but let's pray for our giving. Father, we just want to thank you for your goodness and your gifts to us. You are so faithful and so good. We pray that you would use this finance and bless it, impact lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the Brave Church Podcast. If you don't live in the area, but this ministry is impacting you, please consider giving to support what God is doing through our church. For questions or more information about getting connected, just go to brave.church. We'll see you next week.